This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Everybody's got an agenda. Welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today I'm with my guest, Deborah. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? Very good. (laughs) You're a professor of criminology. Right. That is correct. At Tennessee State University in Nashville, Tennessee. And I've been a professor since the early 90s. I was out in California before I came to, to Tennessee State University. So I've been doing this for a while. Very good. I bet you've seen a lot of things. Oh, yeah. Um, Especially as it's related to the prison. Like one of my main interests is the prison system and how it's growing. When I first started teaching, it was probably about, you know, 500,000. Now it's well over 2 million that are in prison. And if you put jails, corrections, you know, uh, people who are on probation, parole, it's over 6 million, almost 7 million people now that are under the supervision of the Department of Criminal Justice, you know, whether it's corrections, jails, or prisons. Um, So, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. (laughs) Yeah, and it's just, it blows my mind that we've become such a punitive society and we're willing to, you know, lock people up in cages like animals. So, that's the biggest thing I think that's, that I've seen over the, you know, 30 plus years I've been teaching is just the, and then the private prisons, you know, the growth of private prisons, which I think has led to the higher incarceration rates because, you know, prisons for profit, you want to lock people up to make money. Right. I didn't know prisons really made money. I mean, I get like, obviously you probably have like funders and stuff, but I never really knew how that worked. Um, yeah. I mean, people can actually buy into private prison stock and as people get incarcerated, of course, the state pays a portion of their incarceration, but then also for them being incarcerated, they can lease out, you know, prison labor and things like that and make a profit. You know, they make things in prison like jeans and cell phones and, you know, whatever needs to be made. Um, so prisons can make a profit that way as well as make money from the state by housing people. And then people can invest in private prison stock. And, uh, you know, as the prisons grow, so does their their wealth in that particular stock. I had no idea it worked like that. I mean, I you see them on TV and everything making license plates. And like, right, right. <laughs> no, they do stuff and they make, what, like 30 cents an hour or something? Mm-hmm. Right. They even make reservations for people. I mean, I don't know if they still do now that people will usually do the reservations online. And don't usually talk to an agent. But I remember back in the day, if you would call someone to make a a flight reservation or a hotel reservation, sometimes you'd be talking to an inmate about your travel plans. Yeah. Holy shit. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You're giving them your credit card. Exactly. 
I mean, I guess how they're going to use it. But... Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> yeah That's just... crazy. But they're locked behind bars and they're making your travel plans for you. That's just, yeah. Yeah. That would be a horrible job because you're like, I want to go with you. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Now, I do believe there are a certain class of prisoners that do belong behind bars for the rest of their lives. And those are your child predators, your repeat offenders. You know, if you ever touch somebody without their wanting to, you, you should lose your freedom because you're just going to do it again. Your murderers, depending on if, I mean, if it obviously was like self-defense, stuff like that, then no. But if you are a cold-blooded murderer, then yeah, that's where you need to stay. Right. I agree. There are some people that do not need to be out in society. But there's a whole lot more that are in there for, you know, nonviolent drug offenses, for example. Nonviolent crimes in general, not pain. Well, I, they don't have they shouldn't be in jail but people that don't pay their child support well and sometimes i'm like well maybe they do need to be in jail because that's another whole another issue but but people who are in there for nonviolent offenses i don't think we need to use jail for that purpose and people who are in there because they keep committing minor offenses because of mental health issues instead of getting in mental health treatment we we lock them behind bars we have our person that's over the jails here in Nashville, Davidson County, says that he runs the biggest mental health facility in the state. And he, I mean, he does because that's the majority of people that he houses in his jail. Right. In, in Nashville. So, And that's not helping anybody because when they get out, they're no better than when they went in. If anything, they're probably worse because like mm -hmm. you said, you're sitting in like a little cage and mm -hmm. depending on what happens behind closed doors with other inmates and stuff, like it's, that's rough. I always thought like they should have like a set prison that the people who go to that prison, they stay there forever. So, you know, you're only going to house the people who aren't going anywhere. And we could send them there. And then the other ones maybe make them like, okay, you got your three years, your five years, whatever. And then you're on your way. Just to kind of keep some of this open because they're so overpopulated. They're letting the bad people out because mm -hmm. there's a shortage of beds. Right. And we need to be, you know, the ones that, you know, they do these offenses that we see them back out in society a little bit later. Maybe we need to focus on making sure they get rehabilitated. You know, maybe they get some kind of job skills. Maybe they get some education. Um, if a lot of them are homeless, you know, too. So maybe get them, you know, some help while they're in the jail system or, or open up a different type of institution that can help this particular person. Yeah, those like that substance are... abuse. You know, if you've been in jail now five times for meth, you might need to go see a substance abuse counselor instead of coming back and right. go to a program, have a, a program that's federally funded, nonprofit or something, and try to at least help them get better. Right. Because a lot of them are self medicating. I mean, because they do have other mental health type issues. You know, some of it's addiction, but some of it's also trying to balance a mental health issue with non-prescription drugs because they don't have access to health care and those medications that they might need had, you know, that they could get prescribed if they had access to health care and, 
and could afford buying those meds. Right. I know here I live in Florida and I actually work for an outpatient behavioral health clinic. And there's a lot of people there who are homeless. They they don't have anything, but we don't turn them away. We put them on like a sliding fee scale. It could be 10 bucks every time you want to be seen or something. Like there mm. needs to be more programs to help work with these people who don't have anything because Absolutely. they're not going to get healed overnight. Like that doesn't, that doesn't work. Right. And we've got people, you know, they're, they have billions of dollars and then we have people who have absolutely nothing in this country. And I think we could find a way, I think, through new tax legislation to redistribute the wealth a little bit better to help those who are really in need and get programs and decent schools and, you know, decent funding for things that are needed for the lower income population. For me, that's where it gets sticky sometimes. I totally agree, but I'm worried it's going to fall into the hands of people who don't want to work, don't want to pull their own weight. They want everything handed to them. And there is no mental illness. There is no nothing like that. You know what I mean? Like they just want everything done for them. I have no problem helping the people who really need it and they cannot help themselves. I just got a big issue with the lazy people who do not want to contribute. Right. And, and I I think that's a lot smaller percentage than than rhetoric wants us to think it, you know, than what the media wants us to think it is. You know, I I really don't think there's that many people that don't want to do I mean, I can't imagine myself being I just can't even imagine anybody that wanna not do anything. I mean, I just in my mind, I can't visualize what that would feel like or look like. And I think most of the people are just struggling and they and they need help. Or right. maybe it's the whole, you know, go back to the mental health thing. Maybe they're just debilitated so much from mental health issues that they, they can't function outside of their environment. Right. I just know I've heard from people like they think they're owed something. Just for being here and anyway. i'm sure there are those people <laughs> i'm just i'm just trying to you know hope that it's a very small percentage that we would and then you know they're gonna they're they're gonna get some you know they'll fall through the cracks but right but at you know let's just let them fall through the cracks and get help even if they don't need it and they're lazy at the you know expense of helping those who really need it would be how I would see that. But. It's just how do you navigate such a thing? Right. It is. And then the bureaucracy of all of that, you know, people getting the money and help that they need. You know, how do you know where that money lands bureaucratically? Like, does it really filter down to the people who really need it? Right. Right. That's I mean, more of a concern for me than, you know, the wrong people getting it is how is it being distributed once? we earmark it for that type of help. Right. And that makes sense. But no, I mean, it would be great to have funding in place to help people that need it in the right places. It's just, how do, how do we get there? Right. And like I said, you need, you know, we need to clean up our bureaucratic process mm -hmm. in the meantime, because um, you, we have basically 
political leaders who are determining how stuff's going different places. And as parties switch, you know, and ideology switch, we change our mind about, you know, how much we're going to give, how it's going to be distributed. Um, For example, when you're talking about welfare in general, corporate welfare versus welfare for poor people, you know, we're some administrations are willing to, you know, dump way more into saving corporations under the philosophy that, you know, if we let a corporation die or go bankrupt, then all these jobs are going to be lost. So we're going to dump the money into corporate welfare, saying that they're going to provide all these jobs and stuff. And we do a lot more of that than we do. Let's give money to someone who's in need of housing or food or, you know, whatever. Um, are our schools funding our schools? You know, we're not going to do that. We're going to give it because the corporations are going to make it okay. So everyone, and some, you know, that doesn't always work either. That filter down economics has never, you know, I've been around a long time. <laughs> I won't say how, but that filter down or trickle down, not filter, trickle down economics. I haven't seen it work. It's just gotten worse and worse. It's not trickling down and, and corporations are using that money to find different ways to reinvest in other countries and, you know, do other things with the money as opposed to helping the American. I mean, we don't have any kind of like those type of jobs anymore. It's all service industry now. We don't have, you know, people who are making things like we used to. We don't have big factories. You know, we don't have the factory jobs, union factory jobs that people used to be able to support their entire families on one income. That's all gone. So that trickle down did not trickle anywhere. It trickled all right, but well, yeah, it trickled, <laughs> <laughs> and it was a it was a trickle. <laughs> it's not raining. There's no, no raining. It's not raining. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So you also work with the female gang. Oh, uh, I did. I wrote a. Um, was my original dissertation, but then I turned it into a book. Um, later, I got a book published by by my or from my dissertation. Um, I studied female gang participation, and this was back in the '90s, so it's been a while. But there, we were starting to see, at least in Northern Indiana, where I was living at the time, more female, all female gangs. Like there were no males in the gangs; they were just females. And one of the things I wanted to try to figure out is why, you know, why are all of a sudden we're seeing all female gangs? Well, I interviewed a bunch of female gang members and what they said was that, you know, for a male gang, you'd have to either get beat in or sexed in. You know, we, we weren't interested in either of those. And once you got beat in or sexed in, what you had to do was actually work for the male gang members or be their partners or, you know, we weren't allowed to keep a portion of the money that we made because I'm talking drug gangs, right? Drug gangs that were selling drugs. So they started to just have their own gangs. Like, okay, we we can do the same thing. Guys can do you know, I put it kind of in the, you know, the feminist movement theory where, you know, women, you know, they're going to, they're going to find out how to make their money the same way men are. So even in not just the formal economy, but in the informal economy as well. So they started having, you know, developing all female gangs to keep themselves safe from the male gang members and making their, you know, getting their self paid. And they were as bad <laughs> as the male gang members. But I was one- thinking about that though when you started, because I'm like, usually, 
you get in either by you have to like sleep with i think all of the gang members right six in so how did they initiate since they're all female they they didn't have that i mean that's why they wanted their own gang so that that did not happen they start i mean there were a couple of gang members that said that sometimes they get beat in you know but not nothing like you know with the male gang members but one one interesting thing i found out about these female gangs too is once they got pregnant and wanted out they could get out your men can't get out of these drug gangs it's very difficult um but they had enough respect for each other as women and mothers that when they wanted out of the gang they let them out now did they have to be pregnant or could they leave at any time you know, I can't even remember. I just know that was that just still sticks with me. It's been so many years ago that, you know, if they got pregnant and asked to leave, they could leave. And most of them did. They said that's when, you know, they most of them would leave is when they got pregnant. So, I mean, hey, good for them. They like, right? hey, I'm about to be a mom. I need to change my life. So. Yeah, they had, they had morals and values. Yeah, it's very interesting. No, it is. I mean, I guess, say if you didn't make it through high school, you made it to like ninth grade or so, your opportunities are probably limited on Mm -hmm. what you can do with yourself. So at this point, you're going to try to find different ways to make money. Most of them are not going to be legal. (laughs) Right. But, you know, people will find a way to survive. We're wired that way. Exactly. And this was a time when the economy was tanking. You know, the jobs weren't there. Um, so they were just trying to find a way to make their their money. And when they were in male gangs, they had to let, you know, they were attached to a male gang member who decided when or if they got money. You know what I'm saying? They were a partner. They were like the spouse, so to speak, the non-working stay-at-home mom. Get you some you know, we'll pay, you'll give you some money for babysitting your own kid or something like that. Right. So, yeah. That's what, yeah. That's stay at home mom stuff in the, and some men that act like, you know, I'm paying the bill. So I'm, you know, I'm the boss. That just blows my mind because what the woman is doing <laughs> to take care of those kids is way more than what he's doing going off with his little briefcase up to his corporate office every day. I think they say the average mom wears like six hats and they said like if you put all of that into a job description she should be making well over six figures oh absolutely it's yeah and then a lot of women have you know they're doing most of the raising of the children and working because nowadays you have to have two incomes to support a family so they're and there's still kind of this gender role idea that you know, women still are the ones that do a majority. I'm not saying men don't jump in and change diapers and wash dishes, but, but it's still the majority of the responsibility of taking care of the home and the children lies on the women. Right. Including mm-hmm. working. Right. Including <laughs> can, going. Yeah. yeah, I can vouch. I work 10 hours, <laughs> and come home and I have to clean my house. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a bitch is tired. <laughs> right. I've been married for 35 years, so we won't even go there. <laughs> it took me a long time to, to get my husband to understand. You know, we both work. 
Right. I'm not the only one that uses the bathroom. (laughs) 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 Right. Can we get narcissism out of our society? Oh, my gosh. I, I wish we could. I hope we can. I'm not seeing it. It's getting, from my perspective, it seems like it's getting worse as and I don't know if I'm just, as I'm getting older, I'm seeing it more, but I just feel it. I mean, people are so into just, and in social media, when you look at social media, it's all about how many likes, how many, you know, look at me, look what I, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is how many, and then you get depressed if you don't get as many likes as someone else who's doing something. It's like, why didn't they like my post? And it's like, it's all about you. You know, like me, 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 me. Right. Um, and I'm hoping that that can change. I I have not done any research on this, but I really want to. I, I, some reason it just keeps coming back to me. Something changed when we every when we went to everybody gets a trophy. I mean, I just feel that's where the shift came. Like everyone and deserves a trophy. Everyone deserves their gold because song. they the participation trophy, right? But. If you have a team sport where not everybody gets the trophy, then you all have to work together. You all have to rely on each other, you know, to get that trophy, right? Because you're not just going to get it if you don't win the competition. So if it's a team sport, it's not about you and you just getting that participation trophy. It's about the team working together, caring about each other. Picking up where somebody else is lagging so that y'all can get the trophy together. Right. Like that old saying, there's no I in team. (laughs) Right. Right. There is no I in team. I think we've gotten away from team, you know, team efforts in the workplace and schools. And yeah. And I think a lot of people that play sports and they're serious about sports and, and actually winning state competitions and things like that. I, I think they're better off for that because they they understand the concept that, you know, when you're in a national championship or, you know, you're the top of your league in whatever sport, you understand the team concept. It's not those those kids that I'm as worried about because I've seen I know those kids and I see that they're I can see they're a little different than the ones that man, not everyone can play it. But now I'm like. Stumbling over my own words, I'm like, but not everybody can be good at a sport, right? So what do you do for those? You know, they need to feel included too. So I'm like just talking out of both sides of my mouth. But uh, (laughs) so, I, you know, I don't know what the solution is. I just, I think maybe we need to teach more in schools about how to take, you know, maybe just in the schools themselves, working, doing more together work and, and group grades or, you know, things like that, that everybody can participate and and um, feel good about their contribution to a team effort right i mean you got to put in the, the work if you want to be a part of it and that's you know and it's okay to not always win i think that's important that we need to tell people it's okay to fail because if you tried you didn't fail right And that's important. People, you know, they get discouraged or they're really scared that what if, what if it's always the what ifs? What if I don't make it? What if they don't like me? What if I look funny? 
I mean, then you might as well sit in your house and do nothing because not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone's going to be on the same page as you and you're not Mm going to learn everything. It's just life. Yeah. And that's, those are good life lessons because if you don't learn that early, you know, you're not going to make it in the work world either because you, you've got to understand that, you know, it's a competition and you've got to work hard to, to win. Like, we're in a we're in a meritocratic system, whether we like it or not. You get you know moved forward based on, well, we hope that we get moved forward appropriately based on our merit. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. There's a lot of people who work very hard um, and make great contributions that are never recognized and never get their their promotion or their day. You know, their five minutes of fame or no, they get more work. Yeah, they get more work. <laughs> You're absolutely right. So, yeah. Oh, you're good yeah. at what you do. Here's more. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're yeah, you're working so hard. <laughs> Harder. <laughs> yeah, here we go. More for you. Yeah, and I I'm getting the book later, but I was reading part of it online and I ordered it through library cuz I like to read print. But it's a book on narcissism and how narcissists usually get promotions faster than non-narcissists. Really? Like, yeah, because they self-promote. You know, they're always talking about themselves and what they're doing. So, like I said, I haven't read the the book yet. I'm waiting to pick it up at the library because I don't like to read online. I'm just old school that way. But, <laughs> I yeah, I can't wait to get that book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not much of a reader. <laughs> but no, I mean, that would probably make sense because they're also more aggressive. Right. So they're like, hey, I need this promotion. This is why you need to give me this promotion. Mm -hmm. We're sitting back going, oh, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, we're too busy working to worry about self-promoting. Right. Right. I always wanted to think that my work would speak for itself. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. That's true. (laughs) Absolutely. You work a lot with domestic violence and sexual assaults and all that, because I saw that in your your list. I I don't anymore, um, but I used to volunteer as a um, sexual assault advocate for for a while when I lived in the Los Angeles area, because back then they didn't have that many female police officers, so they needed someone to come to the hospital that was a female why they did the rape kit you know to make the female feel much more comfortable um and when i was in nashville a couple of times i uh oh i can't remember what the name of the program is where you go into the court with domestic violence victims as they have to you know sit in court and face their you know their abuser that's an so advocate, that, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, some kind of court, but I they have an official name for what it is, and I just can't remember it. But I haven't done that for a long time. But yeah, I've always tried to do what I could when I can, when I have time, to volunteer to be an advocate for women, you know, that are being abused sexually or physically. Did you see a lot of those go in the women's favor? They would usually get their, you know, their order of protection or whatever, but I wouldn't say that's in their favor because that's not really protection. Piece of paper. Yeah. 
Right. I think there's ways to fix that. How Mm. can we make the laws stronger for women who are being abused or raped? Things of that nature. There's got to be a way to make them listen. We need stricter laws, even stalking victims. Because obviously they have a goal in mind and Mm -hmm. they're not cool. Like they're not happy unless that goal gets accomplished. Right. And I, my only solution to that is to get more women legislatures, you know, that are, that that's their, what they're advocating for running on, you know, the kind of stuff that they're running on is, you know, protect women because they're the they're going to be the lawmakers right we got to vote them in as lawmakers so that they can change the laws we got to work from the inside out right i just get worried with the men allow that you know like they don't want to lose their control right but if it's an election and we come out and vote as women and say we want this woman in the white or white house or our local you know whatever state legislature we want this woman because she stands for what we what we believe in, you know, protecting women against violence from men. Right, right. And and we, we outnumber them as voters. So we just got to get to the polls and say, but not all women are on the same page. And we've got women that vote against their interest, a lot of women who vote against their best interest. Why? That's a good question. But I mean, look how many women voted for... Donald Trump, when he all he talked about was how you can sexually assault women if you have money because, you know, they like it. And I'm like, okay. And they went out and voted for him. I'm not sure about that. The only thing I can think of is maybe those are the women that are abusing men. It does happen. It's not only men abusing women. You're absolutely right about that. There's much more women being abused than men, but yes, men do get abused as well. And who knows what their households look like. Right. Can we demand justice in cases of domestic violence or assault? Do you think we can demand justice? I think we can. We can uh, demand justice for assaults in the same way we can demand justice for victims of police brutality just have to get out there i mean protest is still a good format you know just go out there and march we just had a big protest in nashville because of the um they dismissed those two state legislatures for going in and demanding tougher gun laws and one of them picked up a bullhorn and said he was trying to talk and they wouldn't let him talk. So he picked up a bullhorn because he said he was speaking for his constituents and all this stuff. And that they want gun violence resolved and they want legislation. And they just expelled him from our legislature. Like, you can't expel someone from the legislature that was voted into the legislature. But they did. But they reinstated him a couple of days later. We're the constituents and we can do things like that, you know, demand that our legislatures make stricter laws, you know, to protect people, whether it's our children trying to go to school, whether it's women being victims of domestic violence or rape. We do have a voice and and protest works. We've seen it work in the past. They might quickly reverse a lot of the stuff that we protest and they change laws for, just like what's going on with abortion right now, right? But 
That makes me sick to my stomach. Oh, uh, don't. Yeah, I, I can't even go there. Yep, I hear you. <laughs> <sighs> nope. But, I mean, yeah, you guys just had the shooting uh, in Nashville. Yeah, of the, um, there were there's three children and two adults, one teacher and... An administrator. No, it was three adults and two children. It was the the janitor and a minute the principal, a principal's um best friend that was just student teaching that day and two kids. Yeah. And the kids were like nine years old. Yeah. So sad. I'll and never if- understand. Like you feel a type of way. You're like mostly mad at your parents. Like, what does a nine year old have to do with the way you feel? about your sexuality (laughs) exactly that makes zero sense to me i mean i don't know why they take why they go in these schools and kill little kids i just i can't wrap my head around that and and they're usually on a suicide mission so just here's what i tell my husband kill yourself first why don't they just if they want to die just go and kill yourself I've you don't have to take out columbine (laughs) you don't have to take out a bunch of people first you know exactly you want to die and you want to make a statement then write a note do whatever it is you need to do yeah. and kill yourself don't kill innocent right. people right exactly police brutality you had brought up there's a lot of that that goes on mm-hmm. a lot of that and usually it is white policemen and african-american people because it's not just one race it's not just you know and Mm. for the first time really it was a couple months ago it was all black police police officers african-american well i guess i could say black if i said (laughs) but trying to be politically correct right but People were upset, but it didn't seem to like cross because they were calling racism, but they're the same race. Right. Do you get and, that? Well, I I teach at a um HBCU, a historically black college and university. And one of the things I heard was that in that community, at least where I was at, their concern was that there were white op- there was at least one white officer involved but they never talked about that officer and they were saying it's racist because they're saying look black officers you know do this to blacks as well but i hadn't heard the other way around i mean my my take on that is police officers in general are just socialized into this culture where they believe that the African-American suspect is more dangerous than the white suspect. So they go into it with more fear, um, more willingness to react quickly. More force. Yeah. So, and more force, absolutely. And, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a black or white police officer. A lot of black police officers go into it with the right intention when they first start with the force. But it's such a brotherhood sisterhood brotherhood now i mean obviously there's female cops um and they're they're almost like a tight family a tight-knit family you know especially ones that work that closely together every day um so they're gonna buy into the stereotypes whether they're white or black about the communities that they're policing right and there's been studies done on that about you know the changing of the 
the attitudes of um, African-American police officers as they spend more and more time on the force. Saying that it's getting worse or better? Um, that they're they're more like white officers in the reaction to black suspects the longer they spend on the force, right? Wow. I mean, I just think people are people and we should all be treated the same way. Obviously, if it looks like someone has a weapon or something, you don't just shoot them. Right. You, it, it, it gets sticky because obviously there's a threat there and you're supposed to take out your threat. But instead of these cops constantly just pulling for the gun, why don't we do the stunner or another another reason other than just taking somebody out? Right. And why do why are we more willing to do that with a black suspect than we are with the, the white suspect? So what was that young white man's name that walked down the street with the semi-automatic weapon and nobody did anything? Like, I'm trying to remember it was his name was written hour written hour hang on let me see if i can google knows I, everything. <laughs> I am because um yeah he just walked right down the street during a black lives matter protest and nobody tested him then they just n- nicely put him in the police car and then he went to court and he said it was in self-defense and self-defense? he got off. what state was this in I don't remember hearing about this. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but they had, like, they showed on TV him just walking down the street and then just gently, you know, putting him to the ground and taking a semi-automatic. And I said to myself when I watched that, that, you know, if that was a black suspect, they would have taken him out so quick. Right. I'll do one more thing and then I'll give up on it. (laughs) (laughs) You're good. Uh, yeah, Kyle Rittenhauser. It was in Wisconsin. 17-year-old from Antioch, Illinois, fatally shot two men and wounded another man when he went walked into a Black Lives Matter protest with an AR-15 rifle. And then he said someone was shooting at him. When he went to court, he said someone shot at him first, and they let him off on self-defense. He didn't even get, yeah. Stop it. Uh-uh. I'm not kidding. Oh, there he is. That's there he is. Walking down the street with his AR. They didn't even shoot at him. And I just told my husband, I'm like, oh, my God, if that was a black guy walking down the street with an AR, he, he wouldn't have lasted two seconds. This guy right. was out there just shooting at people. And they didn't even take him out. There's so much wrong with our justice system. It's like, where do you start? <laughs> yeah. It's a long list. Long I know I say in South Carolina is where the guy drove into the crowd with the charger, Dodge Charger or something. I remember that. Yeah. That was horrible. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. He plowed so many people. Yeah. Did they ever catch him? I'm sure they did, but I really don't know. what. I, I'm sure they knew who he was. I mean, obviously he was in his car, and I'm, I know they caught him, but I don't know whatever happened to him. Yeah. I think a lot of times, because you're not, like, in that state, they sit and they'll report on it, but then, you know, something else comes along. Right. And there's no follow-up. 
Yeah, you just get a brief one on national news and then, yeah, there's not a whole lot of follow-up. Right. But no, I mean, it's a problem out there and I know it is. Um, One thing that I always do like to say, though, is I feel like all races can be racist. It's not just whites. It's not just blacks. It's not just Asians. You know, everybody plays a role in this. And so sometimes I'm not really sure why we segregate just the white and the black because there's so many more minorities out there you got Mm -hmm. muslims you got you know mexicans chinese but there's just so much out there but i feel like the media plays into it so much more that it makes it just that much worse i really feel like the media is like our worst nightmare at sometimes. Yeah, they feed they feed on that on the hate and the segregation and the racism and yeah. Right. I mean if it's news, like let's get it out there, you know. Let's make it about even sometimes if it's not about race, they make it about race. Right. Just to, just to make the news sell. Cuz sometimes it might not be at all, you know. Exactly. We don't know the whole story. You know, we don't, we're not privy to the whole story. We just get what the media tells us. Exactly. And they only want to give you what's going to benefit their broadcast. Right. And this stuff sells right now. But it's a shame. It really is because it's dividing us, I feel like, even more. Right. You know, we're supposed to be coming together, unified, you know, People are fucking people. Like, I don't care what you look like. Exactly. Just be a human being. Be a normal, nice human being. And you're good. I mean, if you're a piece of shit, you could be a piece of shit in any color. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You know? like Right. And we're feeding so much hate that we don't even give each other a chance to get to know each other. You know, people are just going to hate on someone just because of... They have this stereotype that's been fed to them about who that person is, and they respond that way. And that's not good because, like you said, we're all human beings. We all need to treat each other like human beings until they give us a reason not to. Like this Rittenauer, you know, he's not a human being. <laughs> he but, should uh, not be walking alone. I know. I know. It's just, it's crazy. I really hope one day that everything that I'm kind of doing Maybe I can collect signatures. I I don't know. I have so many plans, but, you know, I sit, I lie when I can't sleep. So I have like insomnia, sleep apnea, all that great stuff. So I don't sleep. So when I'm lying there, oh my God, I'm like, oh, we can do this and we can do this and we can do this. And, but it's like, okay, calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Like baby steps, baby steps. But there has to be a starting point. We we can't just sit and settle for this any longer. I'm tired of it. I really am. And I think every, or I think most of our society is over it. So mm-hmm. let's work together. Obviously, the government, the social media, stuff like that, they have different agendas. Let's try to fuck up their agenda. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I like it. <laughs> yes. Like, we're right. not going to play with your rules anymore. We're, we're not going to do it. It's right. not helping anybody or any society, any state, any country, any anything. 
Yeah, we should demand. We want to see more stories on how people helped each other out. And, you know, instead of all these stories about hate and what happened because people hated each other and did each other wrong, there are more stories about how the person stopped and saved a baby that choked on something. Or, you know, it's right. Feed us some good loving stuff, not this ugly, ugly stuff. Because, like you said, it's making people just angry, like tired of it, tired, angry, done with it. Right. You know how many people I know will say, like, I won't even watch the news anymore because it's depressing. Mm -hmm. And it is. That's because that's all they feed you is this mm -hmm. all this ugly stuff. Right. It's like they just they feed off of it and it's feeding time is over. Yeah, I hear you. Gotta start somewhere. It's just always, where? Where do you start? It's such a high ladder to climb. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to get totally discouraged. So you need to make sure you have all your eggs in one basket and you're ready to present what it is that you need to do. Right. But there's a lot that's involved and you need probably a lot of signatures. So... But that will soon be coming. I, I guarantee you, I will have something on one of my websites <laughs> actually on let's fix this because yeah. I'm I'm freaking tired of it. <laughs> right. Yeah, we need we need to fix it. You're right. But that's um that's what motivated me to write this last book I wrote was I was just so t- tired of it. That's the only way I could mentally process everything. You know, it's like that was therapeutic for me, you know, like just writing and writing. And that's, you know, that's what I do when I get pissed off about stuff. And then I hope, you know, sometimes someone will pick up that and read the words and, and want to change the world like I do and like you do, obviously. Yeah. Because it's time, like think of how much better this world could be if we could eliminate some of this freaking nonsense. That's what Mm -hmm. it is. It's nonsense. Just be there for each other, support each other, love each other, do whatever we can. You know, if we got people that are down and out, figure out how to help them out. <laughs> yeah. Not hard concepts, right? <laughs> yeah. Change our school philosophy from where you have to have armed guards instead of books. <laughs> and let's have, you know, let's have teachers and pay them a decent salary that want to be there, that want to teach. I mean, not the the teachers that are there don't want to teach. I'm just saying pay teachers enough that they love their job. Right. And can actually support themselves. Right. Right. Because that's got to wear on a teacher, too. You not not having the funding to support, you know, the things you need in your classroom. You know, not making enough money to pay your bills. I mean. Our teachers in Tennessee get paid so it's just sick how little they get. I mean, I can't. That tells me a lot about how we value education in our society when you look at how we pay our teachers. We don't. And education, I think, is the key to making sure that people are critical thinkers and they're not going to buy into this ugliness the media is selling you. Right. If we educate people and we teach them how to find information on their own and think for themselves then they're they're not gonna buy all this crap they're gonna say wait a minute i know so and so and he's not a bad guy 
you know? Right. I mean, you got to think about it. Teachers mold your children. This Why is would you not want to pay them? <laughs> right. Like they kind of are the deciding factor. If your kid goes to college, if he goes to the streets, does he go and write a book? Like there's so many things that can happen after. Does he even finish high school? You know, like these are the people that some of the kids go to with their problems. And I don't know about where you're at in Nashville, but here it's getting just it's very it's getting very scary. Um, our teachers are not allowed to ask, talk, or even associate with gay, transgender, any of that. If there's talk of it, there's a problem. They're burning books. They're taking books off of our shelves that have been around for the longest time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what is happening? Where did our priorities go? Like for the Florida lottery, it says billions of dollars have gone towards education. Where? Where? Because our teachers have to buy their own supplies. Where is it going? Mm -hmm. I'm confused. I don't see it. Yeah, a lot, our lottery tickets, I think, mostly go to fund um, students who go to college. I don't know if ours goes to high school or or down, but um, but yeah, I mean, even then, I don't. They're probably not giving enough to these students, and I think everyone should be able to go to college too, as well as high. You know, I know we have free education, not a decent one, because of the lack of funding. Um, all the way up to 12th grade, but I think we need to fund all the way up through a four-year college. I mean, because that's where you really learn to critically think is in college. And that's where, I mean, faculty, that's why, that's where tenure came from. Um, is because they were trying to tell faculty what they could and couldn't teach, same way they're doing now, you know, about critical race theory, gays, lesbians, transgender. You know, they tried to, and faculty were like, no, no, no. We're sci- we're social scientists. <laughs> this is what we do. So we got ourselves protected by um, getting, you know, this tenure stuff laid out so that once you're tenured, they can't get rid of you short of, you know, some serious crime. Right, right. I mean, so I, I'm free to say whatever I want in my classroom. They can't do anything. Good for you. Yeah. But and that's true across um, all universities, I believe. So, so yeah, we need to, you know, get our students and and at the university level too. Not everyone's made for college, but the ones that want to go, they should be able to go, regardless of whether or not they have the money to get there. I totally agree in that because you could have a brainiac who comes from nothing, and you're saying you got to go work at McDonald's when, you know, they have aspirations to be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. Why are we cutting them short? They have the knowledge, they have the drive, let Mm. them go. Yeah. But they don't have the money and maybe they're first generation. So they don't even know how to navigate, you know, getting into college. Once they get into college, they don't know how to navigate, you know, financial aid. I mean, I've seen this because I'm at a university where we have, a lot of lower income students that come and a lot of them are first generation and it's hard for them because they don't have anybody that can tell them, you know, how to 
do all the different things it takes to get into college and then to stay there because it's, you know, there's a lot. I I don't know if I could fill out a FAFSA form. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) it's been a lot of years. So I don't, I mean, I might have to be handheld through that myself. (laughs) Our housing, you know, trying to get housing and all the stuff they got to do. And if your parents are not, you know, if they didn't go to college, they don't understand it. And maybe they don't even support me. Like, well, you don't really know. Why did you need to go to college? I didn't go to college. You know, be like, yeah, mom. And that's why we can't afford it. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, to be fair, I have seen people go and get master's degrees and they're bartenders. So, you know, it it goes both ways. (laughs) One of my one of my graduates several years ago is a stand up comedian now making a living. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it all depends on what you go for, but there's not always jobs out there for you. So you right. could rack up this huge debt and you're not even doing what you set to do. And that's right. a shame as well. They need to yeah. make sure if we have people who are interested in these occupations, that there's enough for them to actually do it. Right. We're just feeding them to the wolves. Yeah, and taking their money. Exactly, that they don't have. Right. (laughs) And they've got all this debt, you know. Exactly. And then you're working to pay off debt. It's like Mm. you try to get ahead, and it's always like you, what is it they say, four steps up, two steps behind, something like that. But it's the truth. Once you think you're getting ahead, you just, you get knocked down by something else. And it can be discouraging, but. You got to just know to keep going because life isn't easy. It's not fair. It's hard. Yeah, it's not fair. It's not easy. Yeah. That's for sure. You keep thriving and keep surviving and you should be happy. And, you know, just keep moving up at the pace that you're meant to. Some Mm -hmm. people, you know, me for one, I had no patience. (laughs) Like I want what I want when I want it. And let's be real. That's not real life. Mm -hmm. So that was a hard pill for me to swallow. Sometimes still is. I'm like, ooh, look at that. And it's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) But if you work hard enough and you keep your goals, you keep your dignity, and you just keep working, keep working. Don't let anybody put you down. Don't let anyone tell you you cannot do anything. Right. And guarantee one day you will be in that car or you will be in that house or you will have that job. Yeah, you just got to keep fighting despite all the things that happen or the negativity that people are throwing in your direction. I can attest to that. I struggled for many years to get where I'm at. but Exactly. I'm doing everything that I ever wanted when I was a kid right now without a degree in any of it. I found my way and my niche around it. Awesome. And who the hell knew it would be in podcasting? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But it's true. It's exactly everything that I dreamed of as a child. It's mm-hmm. just, it was rewritten a little bit. <laughs> right. So how many books do you have out now? Uh, this this last one's my third book. and But I have a lot of journal articles and things like that. Because in academia, you have to get to a lot of publishing to, to move up, you know, and become full professor and tenure, like I said. You have to have certain amount of publications. So 
Right. Well, congratulations though on that tenure. That's amazing. Yeah. And this, but this is my first book of this last one's my first book of poetry and short stories. I've always just done pretty much academic work. And then I had written a memoir back in 20 or 2002. And I think I was a little too early to be writing a memoir. So this is more of a memoir, but short stories and poetry. And Are they true stories? Um, the short stories are mixture of fact and fiction. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the poetry is a lot of reality. Some of it, you know, because sometimes you can mix in a little fiction to make it better, but most of the poetry is just from the heart, you know, things that I've been through and things that I'm angry about. Right. Very cool. Do you have any books or memoirs or anything out there on like your criminology work or the things that you studied? Um, Mostly just journal articles. The one we were talking about earlier, they renamed it (laughs) Uh, female gang participation. Uh, is the only academic book that I have out. The rest of them are journal articles and book chapters and stuff like that. And then I've got the uh, Short Rage, which is the memoir that I wrote in twenty in 2002. And then this one's titled Exposed, which I just put out in January. So Very nice. And what does Exposed expose? <laughs> Basically, the the political economic system and... I basically have a, not basically, I have a poem titled Exposure for Cast that kind of looks at, are we really, you know, a capitalist kind of economic system? Or do people get born into a particular class and stay there? Is it more likely they're going to stay there? So that's why that poem's called Exposure of a Cast. Uh, and then a lot of it's just because I was a victim of sexual assault when I was younger. So a lot of it's um, in the second chapter on toxic masculinity, it's more about what would I want girls to know? You know, if I was young again and had and had experienced everything I experienced, what would I want to tell girls? So that poetry is more like, you know, I want to tell young girls, da 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 da, you know. And, right. What would and, you want to tell a young girl who's going through something like that? To speak out, you know, and and then also if men touch them unwantingly, to let them know. You know, be be aggressive, be aggressive back. Say, no, I don't, you know, don't let him touch you in front of your, your friends that way. If that's not what you want, you know, keep your dignity. If you have to smack him across the face, smack him. You know, that, you know just stand up. Fight back, know? which a Fight lot of back. people don't, right? Right, because they're taught, women are taught to be, you know, more by it and, and just kind of go with the flow and not ruffle any feathers and but no and it's time for us to ruffle the feathers and and speak out but a lot of women they won't talk about you know victimization because they're they're shamed you know people we always blame the victim so they're scared to you know well what if it was because i was wearing this or what if i did do something that made him think i wanted him or you know, he did, you know, I did go to the prom with him, you know, or he did take me out to dinner. You know, right. So it's like, no, you don't have any obligation. The right. only, uh, yeah, you've already paid your dues. You showed up on his arm looking hotter than hell. That's all you got to do. 
<laughs> and that shouldn't mean that he gets to rip the dress off. Exactly. Right? right. If you're looking good, he cannot, without your permission, touch you. Right. And that's another thing that I would love to change in the justice system. Why? I, obviously, women do make false reports. And that's very unfortunate. And very I'm, unfortunate. Yes. They ruin it. For the people who are truly victims. Right. And, you know, shame on you for doing that. Because if you think that's going to get that man back with you, because that's <laughs> usually what they're going for, you are crazier than you thought. So, like, no, we're not doing that. But to put a woman on trial, to go to things that are so personal, that have nothing to do with, say, if it was after the prom, but we're going to go five years back to when she did this, this, like, I get also patterns show you who people are, but I mean, there has to be a freaking a, a time when this isn't relevant. Right. You know, when somebody goes to jail or prison, I should say, and you have to go in front of the board every two to three years you're re-victimized over mm -hmm. and over again. It's just, when does it end? This right. is why people do not fight for their own justice. Right. That's why it's the most underreported crime out there. Because women know what's going to happen. Exactly. So they keep silent. And that just gives men more power to yeah. do it. Because they know they're going to keep quiet. Look at the Epstein case. Oh, my Oh, my God. That makes me want to throw, I mean, that whole thing, I read a book on that and I, I can't, and I can't unread it. I'm just still, it I still makes it. me my violent. Whole, my whole body just went. Into it it makes me violently ill. This guy was the sickest man besides R. Kelly, maybe, but on. It's all yeah. money, 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 money. I know. But how many girls came forward and they were all dismissed? How is and, that okay? It's How not justice. Yeah. Oh, makes me fucking sick. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I feel like I'm gonna just be sick right now. Just even oh. mention his name makes me really, really sick. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually had a poem about him that I was gonna include in this last book, and I took it out because it was too dark. And I'm like, no, no one needs to. No, this is making me sick just reading it. I don't want to do that to, to people. But I wanted people to know who he was. But then I'm like, nah, I can't. It's too. It was too much. Yeah, it's it's sad, and it just goes on in so many different ways and places you wouldn't expect. I mean, you got politicians, you have celebrities. You have lawyers, doctors, everyone is participating in these kinds of behaviors, but because they have money, it's mm -hmm. overlooked, it's paid off, and it's swept under the rug. Yeah, and they're, you know, we got the human traffickers out there getting these women for them. Yeah. You know, but you got Bob down the street who is doing something and he's going to pay for the rest of his life, which right. I mean, depending on what Bob is doing, he probably needs that. But what makes the difference between Bob right. and R. Kelly, Bob and Epstein? You know, like money should not matter when it comes to people's lives, people's safety, people's mental health, emotions. Right. right. It's not worth it. 
No. Yeah, he's. I mean, how many young girls did he destroy? Exactly. With doing what he was doing, and a sidekick, whatever. I can't remember her name. I'm. I'm. Yeah, I think I'm intentionally repressing it. (laughs) For a woman to be able to do that, at Uh, this point, I do look at her as a victim herself. Because clearly she was groomed. She was, you know, women don't normally do that. That's not, we we don't look to hurt our fellow women. So I do look at her as a victim, but you were also an adult. Mm -hmm. Who knows the difference between right and wrong. And you know what is happening to these children because it happened to you. Right. And what you're setting them up for later on in life. And she's exactly where she belongs. And Mm -hmm. I hope she sings like a canary because they have so many secrets. And I feel like the pool of celebrities that was actually involved in that, a lot bigger than what we think. Oh, yeah. And I think it's time we see justice for all of it. They deserve Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, they got to pay. Mm -hmm. Enough is enough. I'm tired. Yeah. I really doubt that Epstein committed suicide. I, I have. He was murdered. Yeah, they shut him down quick. Did you see the amount of blankets that was in his cell? They're supposed to have one, but apparently he was on suicide watch, which means you're supposed to have none. Zero, right? He had about twelve in his cell. He did not kill himself. No, murdered because they didn't want him to talk. He was going to talk. He was going to, and they shut him down quick. Just like the, he had recordings in his home where he had all these girls. Someone beat the police there and took it all. Mm-hmm. So, mm-mm. well, they have inside. I mean, at that level, they have inside informants, and they know when the cops are coming and what they're coming for. Right. So they can get rid of evidence that quickly. Yeah. Because they're paying people off. Right. All. Every direction, whether it's judges, police officers. I mean, pick an avenue. (laughs) Yeah. Who do I pay now? Who do I got to pay this time? Exactly. It's time we put an end to all of it. It's just, how do we get there? (laughs) Yeah, money's power, or the power of money is very dangerous. It is, especially in the wrong hands. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, if anyone wanted to find any of your publishings, where could they find it? Um, both my books are not academic are on Amazon.com. And I am the only Deborah Burris Kitchen out there that I know of. Um, and one's called Exposed and the other one's called Short Rage. So <laughs> I love it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a short rage. It's only 83 pages. <laughs> <laughs> I was very angry, but it was short-lived. <laughs> like I said, this stuff's therapeutic for me. You know, I just got to get that shit out. You know, I hear that from a lot of my guests, a lot. And it's so important to tell your story. It's so important to just get it out because your soul, your body, everything keeps all of that trauma. And it's not going to go away unless it's dealt with. And you have to deal. I like to say you got to feel if you want to heal. Because it's the truth. 
And that's what I hope this last piece does, this make people, you know, feel like empathy for all the things that, you know, are being done to people just based on social class, race, gender, you know, so that we can start moving in a different direction and care and love each other, you know, move past this, hate people just because you think that they're taking your piece of the pie or whatever reason you hate. I have no idea. Not you personally. I know you're not a hater. <laughs> I can not. see you're not a hater. I can tell. But <laughs> people that hate, yeah, they need to find a way to find empathy and and human compassion. Right. And maybe it was a learned culture, a learned behavior. Maybe you need to work through that. You know, usually people who hate people for no reason, you hate something within yourself. It's yourself, right? You're hating yourself, right? Exactly. My dad used to always tell us that if there's something that you don't like about someone else, you need to look at yourself. And I always thought that was really good advice. It is good advice. Because for some reason, you hate them. And it's something to do with you, not them. Right. You don't even know this person. Right. So why? I, I hate killers and molesters and all that because I I don't know them, but I know what they did. And Yeah. Well, that's a different story, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my gosh yeah i can't say i didn't hate on jeffrey epstein <laughs> yeah no, <laughs> for sure is there anything else you wanted to add no i'm good thank you for having me though i enjoyed this yes absolutely and um i will look up your books on amazon and i'll add the links to the show notes oh thank you thank you yes. appreciate it not a problem this was oh, good <laughs> yeah i enjoyed our time together absolutely all let's right keep, cool. let's keep advocating <laughs> yes no if you ever hear of anything like somebody people who need to get involved petitions stuff like that please keep me informed Me'll i mean do. i mean this 110 percent. i gotcha i need to leave my mark on this world before i go because jesus christ <laughs> we need one. i know i'm with you and i'm i'm more desperate than you are because i don't have that much more time to leave my mark so <laughs> uh, you're only as old as you feel yeah that's right all right <laughs> all right well thank you all right thank you take care peace out bye bye thank you guys so much for listening and don't forget to check out the links in the bottom of the show notes you'll be able to like follow and subscribe leave that five-star review and we'll talk crime another time. Bye.